0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the
1: smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know success when you see it, or you think you do, the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money
2: Hello and welcome to Travel Genius. I'm Mark Elwood.
3: And I'm Nikki Eckstein. We are the Travel Geniuses. Yes, we are.
2: This week, we're going to talk about flying in the comfy seats up front and a slew of new ways you can do it for less.
3: Who doesn't want to know that? Plus, we'll be joined by champion freediver, filmmaker and conservationist Henley Prinsloo. All that and more on this week's Travel Genius.
2: Okay, Nikki, answer me this. Is there anything better in the world than turning left once you enter an airplane?
3: Well, there is one thing that's better, and that's going upstairs.
2: Because <laughs> upstairs feels like turning left twice, yes, basically. Yes, yes, exactly. I mean, we're talking about business class. Everyone wants to sit in the comfy seats but the problem is cost. I mean, I have seen business class seats that could cost sort of ten times what the equivalent in an economy might, like ten grand for a fourteen hour flight. Oh totally. That's not I mean, that's not unheard of, right?
3: It's absolutely not unheard of and it's also not feasible for most people.
2: But you can hack the cost down if you want to find a sneaky little way to turn left that isn't about sneaking in there from economy.
3: Well, why don't you start telling us about that, Mark? (laughs)
2: I'm so glad you would ask. I will say the first thing. Do check out a story. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. Designer Andrew Yang, no, not that one, not the one you're thinking about, for the digital counterpart to this story, which is called Distinguished Travel Hacker, told me an amazing trick. We will link to that profile. He always said if you're going to a Asia, use Chinese airlines like China Eastern, brand new planes, but you'll be saving maybe 20 to 40 percent on a business class seat compared to the comparative seat on a U.S.-based airline.
3: I think that's a brilliant trick, but let's let's get really into the weeds here, Mark. Can we get really nerdy? Let's get really wonky. Talk to me about Fifth Freedom Flights, because you explain this better than I okay. can. So basically,
2: we, we need to go back to 1944 when there was a meeting known as the Chicago Convention, which was about regulating the commercial air business as we know
3: it. Right. So I think the one takeaway here that was important was that the Chicago Convention kind of stopped air fuel from being double taxed. Yeah.
2: So in other words, they found a way to kind of make reciprocal agreements on fuel tax. That's one of the freedoms. There are nine, in fact. But I want to focus on number
3: five. Talk to me about number five, Mark. So fifth,
2: the, the fifth airline freedom allows a carrier to fly between two separate foreign countries as long as the flight originates or terminates in the carrier's home country.
3: I mean, this sounds like a lot of legalese. Yeah, I'm, Put I'm, it I'm, in I'm being careful. I'm being yeah. careful. They yeah. basically <laughs> let
2: an airline that may not be from the US or the UK fly a route that originates in the U.S. For example, Air New Zealand flies from LAX to London Heathrow.
3: Without necessarily having some totally out of the way stop in New Zealand. It
2: it goes on from LAX to New Zealand. That is the trick. Thanks to the Fifth Freedom, you can also pick the flight up in LAX and travel from there to London. You right. don't have to originate in New Zealand. Same thing. Air Tahiti Nui flies from Paris to LAX. Singapore Airlines flies from San Francisco to Hong Kong. Ethiopian Airways flies from LAX to Dublin.
3: And this shouldn't really strike us as odd. We see these flights all the time. They show up on all of our searches and we would look at them in those results without batting an eye and thinking that there was anything extraordinary about them but they
2: are basically the secret menu version you know that you know when you go into like a fast food joint you're supposed to say the secret menu thing the fifth freedom is that thing you know is there you might see but you need to have pointed out to you. Now remember, because they are not core routes for the airline, they're often serving a random pair of cities for that carrier. They're not necessarily going to be very popular with their regular flyers.
3: Right. And, if and that's they're not where you popular, get, that's where you get savings.
2: Exactly, supply demand. If you're flying on Ethiopian from LAX to Dublin, there aren't that many people who live in Addis who are going to need to fly that route.
3: And really, I think a lot of the little hacks here to finding discounted business class fare ultimately boil down to supply and demand. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the idea behind this new service that um, that is launching initially with Singapore Airlines. It's called Upgrade Pack, okay, right? Okay, tell me about that. So the idea here, it's, it's a B2B idea where corporations, business travel managers could kind of buy into... Uh, kind of like a Costco-sized bulk deal on upgrades. Let's put it that way. And so you would pay some kind of membership cost as an organization and you would commit to upgrading frequently, therefore securing discounts on each of those individual upgrades that you pass on to your employees. Oh, that makes,
2: makes total sense. It is supply and demand. Bulk buy?
3: Supply and demand. Um I think that's also why recently I got a really cheap business class ticket when I flew Sri Lanka to the Maldives on Sri Lankan Air. Mm-hmm. I kid you not, I paid less for that ticket in business class than an economy ticket.
2: Oh, I, that's like, I hang on, let's just stop for a second. <laughs> Just let that sink in. In other words, it it was cheaper to fly in the comfy seats.
3: It was cheaper because it's a popular route, but it's also a 45 minute flight. And so most people would book the cheap seats in the back of the plane. You don't need a business class seat, a lie flat, by the way, business class seat for a 45 minute flight. But here's the thing, the back of the plane started to sell out and the front of the plane was empty. So what happened? When you look at the grid of pricing, the business class seat was actually cheaper.
2: And it is, remember, I would always encourage people when you perform a Google flight search or use any of the usual search engines you do, do check business, even if you don't think you can afford it, because you might stumble on something well, like
3: exactly. that. Always check on the actual carrier's website where they show you the options side by side, because when you search on, say, Expedia or whatever, Google Flights, you do select the cabin that you want to fly ahead of time. And that's when you're weeding out these super affordable business class
2: fares. You know, another one is, tell me about, I haven't looked into this, but Emirates is doing something interesting with its premium fares. It's unbundling, right? So this
3: is something that the CEO of Emirates has been talking about a lot, but they haven't formally launched the product yet that's to say keep this on your horizon Mm -hmm. what he's saying is that a way to lower the cost to business class fares is to just sell the seat that's what people want if you fly business on emirates it's a very end-to-end service they send a beautiful car chauffeur everything to pick you up at home take you to the airport the lounge experience is incredible all of it is worth it if you have the money and if you don't guess what All you need is the lie flat seat and Mm -hmm. the service in the air, and everything else can be stripped away, and you don't have to pay for it. That's what he's saying. And
2: unbundling is something the airlines have done a lot in economy. That's where the basic economy fare came from.
3: Correct.
2: This is moving the idea of separating out the components into the premium cabinet. So it's
3: like economy minus. We all joke that that's a thing, economy minus. This is business minus. But guess what? I'd rather have business minus than than economy economy
2: plus. (laughs) (laughs) I would also, there's a couple of other services.
3: I would, people in
2: the US are not so familiar with Plusgrade, which is a bidding service. It tends to, the airlines that tend to work with it are not US based, but it's people like Virgin Atlantic, Virgin Australia, Singapore, Cathay Pacific. And essentially when you check in, in, they've realized the supply and demand they're like eh, business isn't that busy make us an offer give me your best give me your best offer
3: it's always worth trying mm-hmm.
2: so if you see that plus grade service don't doubt it I think it can seem a little shady if you've not encountered it before I would also say American Express has done a very clever fight back against Chase Sapphire. Do you have a Chase Sapphire Reserve? I
3: actually have the Barclay World Arrival card. I know I'm a little bit of a non-traditionalist there, but we really like it.
2: Again, you can tweet at us, tell us how many of you are Team Reserve, how many are Team what, Barclay what?
3: I know, it's the Barclay World Arrival card. It has similar perks to all the other ones. Look into it, I swear. Again,
2: look into that. We'll come at it. But, but what American Express, which was dinged by the arrival of Chase Sapphire Reserve, has fought back by, if you're a platinum card holder, which obviously you pay a, you know, a premium to to do. You can access cheaper premium tickets via Amex Travel's portal. So you just log on there and you perform a search like normal. And Amex says that you could save $150 on a premium economy long haul ticket, $300 on a business class long haul ticket. Obviously, those will vary. But it's a very interesting new offering to say, we know these cardholders are premium flyers. Let's try and work with you on it's it. It's
3: pretty smart. And I would say generally as a rule of thumb, if Amex is offering it, I believe them. I trust Amex as a company. There are plenty of services out there that promise you 75% off of business class tickets. If they can't show you how they're finagling those deals, I don't believe it. <laughs> I agree.
2: I think Amex is a very trustworthy one. But I think there, we've looked at lots of different ways of maybe you thought, ah, I can never stretch to business. There are lots of ways it might be a little cheaper than you think. And this week's guest is former freediving champion Hanley Prinsloo. Prinsloo smashed 11 records in her sport, including holding her breath, just wait for this, for an eye-watering 5 minutes and 39 seconds before retiring.
3: I mean, the 39 seconds alone would be enough for me. (laughs) Hanley is also passionate about ocean conservation, and she runs a charity called I Am Water. It focuses on teaching underprivileged children how to swim, snorkel, and of course, free dive. with the idea that connecting them to the ocean will help them become its custodians. So let's bring her in. Hanley, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to Travel Genius. Thank you.
2: We're so glad you're, well, you're not here, Hunley. You're somewhere exotic in the wild. Before we start talking, though, we do have a little procedural rule. What is that rule, Nikki? Well,
3: it applies whether you're here digitally or whether you're here in person. And this is the sound that you're after.
2: That is the sound of a genius tip. We are travel geniuses. We're meeting geniuses like you. And every time you give us a brilliant tip or hack, Nikki will ding her bell. And at the end of the episode, we'll tally your score.
3: As we always say, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's
2: dive in. I want, dive in, I, uh, and I didn't even, I didn't even plan that ahead. The number of puns we're going to use, um, Harley. I'm intrigued. You always say when you travel, you have to wear matching underwear, and this is a tip I love, <laughs> but I would never have thought of.
4: Yes, well, I think it particularly applies um, to women, maybe, or depends on what your preference is, but. When traveling and if your luggage gets lost and you arrive somewhere fantastic and hot and you're sweaty and you're close to a beach, the last thing you want to do is hunt down a swimsuit. But if you're wearing decent matching underwear, you can just go straight to the beach and jump in the ocean or the pool or wherever there is water nearby. Because let's be honest, that's the only thing you want to do after a hot and sweaty flight. And... Um, and you've got your swimsuit on already. So, And your only pair of underwear you have with you has not had a rinse.
3: <laughs> Actually, I think this is great. We, we've talked on the show about how there are so many unexpected places where you might want a bathing suit, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are hotels yeah. that have phenomenal pools in cities where you wouldn't normally expect them, maybe times of year where you wouldn't be thinking about it. But this is a really great workaround.
2: I love this. And this is basically, I think Nikki's going to give I, I, you... A ding, you can't see this, but I, I was can holding my finger, see on her finger over the bell. That's an amazing point.
3: Absolutely. So you spend a large majority of your traveling life underwater, it seems. Talk to us about some of your favorite places and talk to us a little bit about free diving for those who don't understand what that is.
4: Sure. So free diving is both I believe a very, very engaging and healthy lifestyle, but it's also a competitive sport. So as a competitive sport, freediving is about diving as deep as far or as long as possible on one single breath of air with no scuba tanks, no assistance, just your breath and the ocean. As a lifestyle, it's a way of exploring the ocean and living a healthy lifestyle because when you're that connected with your body, you kind of need to do that. and the planet being over 70% ocean there's a lot that can be explored on one single breath of air without having to trek scuba gear around with you and all the equipment that goes with that
2: so tell us tell us Hunley, where do you die give us give us an insider's advice where are the oceans teeming with amazing life that we may not realize i know you love mozambique papua new guinea tell us tell us where we should be in the water
4: hmm so The oceans are teeming with life is where it is protected. So again, if you can find an area, so for example, in the Raja Ampat in Indonesia, there are huge, huge areas that are protected, like the Missoula Reserve. That is some of the best coral you can find and some of the most alive oceans because it's been protected for a long time. Closer to home, somewhere like the Baja Peninsula on the East Cape of Baja, You have a marine protected area that's been around for 25 years and you can dive down into tornadoes of fish, like giant, giant schools of fish that you thought you'd only still see in, you know, videos that Jacques Cousteau took 60 years ago. But it's still there because of this protection.
3: I think, you know, that's a great point. I think Baja is a is a great example because we think of, you know, Cabo San Lucas and these particular destinations that have made the Baja Peninsula so famous as being party spots, particularly, you know, spring break spots. <laughs> but I was surprised the first time that I went to Baja, how much that can be untrue depending on where you go. And it's one of my favorite places in the world. I, I don't dive. I snorkel. But I agree with you. Some incredible sights underwater there. I would like to go back to something else that you've talked to us about in the past, which is how you manage your ears when you're underwater and how that helps us when we're above Before water too flying. because there's so
4: many parallels here. Absolutely, and I'm definitely going to angle for a little bell chime here. Oh. <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But yes, the one big tip is your ears of course are crucial for going underwater because you have to equalize them. And if your ears aren't happy or healthy, they won't equalize and you'll feel excruciating pain and possibly even pop an eardrum. The same is true for when you're flying. When pressure changes in the cabin, you have to be able to either equalize your ears or your ears have to be flexible and healthy enough to adjust naturally by swallowing or sucking onto something or you know that kind of thing. They're always offering people candies to suck on or something if there's a lot of pressure change. And so happy, healthy ears, when you're free diving and the pressure builds, you're able to equalize that pressure by just pinching your nose and blowing. And of course you can do this on a plane just as easily. Pinch your nose and blow as if you're trying to blow your nose gently, and that will pop your ears.
3: Yeah, I think that's a good one that we all learn as
4: kids, right? Exactly. But I think what happens is especially if we spend time in hot, humid places and we're spending a lot of time in the ocean, we get our ears salty from spending time in salt water and then we get out we have a shower and we don't tend to want water in our ears so you wouldn't necessarily angle your ears to rinse out the salt water when you're back in the shower Uh or in the bath or something Ha ha. And if you are very careful with rinsing out your ears directly after a salty swim, you run very little risk of getting any kind of infection or any kind of pain that will make both traveling and freediving a challenge.
2: And you get a ding for that. There,
4: there we go.
2: You know, you, you know, Hanley, <laughs> I will say I learned this firsthand. I was swimming in a cenote in Mexico Couple of years ago, and I'm I'm quite a quite a strong swimmer. I'm not afraid of water, and I was splashing around. And there'd been a big uh, there'd been a big thunderstorm the night before, and it had churned up the cenote. And I got home, and I had the worst ear infection I've had since I was a child. And it reminded me that you have to wash your ears out when you're not swimming in a heavily chlorinated pool. As one thing, but natural water always. Yeah, that's
3: that's out. a clever point when it's not chlorinated water. I think that's an important. Distinction to me.
2: I love that. Now, tell me also, I love that there is you go swimming at airports. I want to know about pools in huh. airports. Oh,
4: yeah. This is fascinating. Yeah.
2: Where are they? Because that must be the best jet lag cure.
4: Absolutely. So, there are several airports. I mean, I don't know which one of the airport hotels at all these different airports have swimming pools, but many of the airport hotels will have swimming pools. Mm-hmm. And you have access to the airport hotel. Usually, you know, if you're staying a little bit longer, the airline will offer you that. And sometimes you can even. So the one that I often use and really enjoy is in Doha airports in Qatar. And here you can actually just go up an elevator, three flights, and you can either choose to go right into the lobby of the hotel or go left into the spa and pool area where you pay $50 and you have access to the pool, the saunas, the, the hot tubs, <laughs> the showers, everything. And the swimming pool there is a 25 meter lap pool. Oh, my God. It's beautiful. During during the daytime, it's actually, like, got windows above it, like skylights. And you're, like, floating above the terminal. So you can, from the swimming pool, look down on the terminal. It's crazy.
3: What an amazing... That sounds incredible. What an amazing layover.
4: I've just found
3: a handy-dandy resource. So other airports that have pools, in case you're curious, Munich, Singapore Changi, Detroit... Um, Vancouver. There's a whole bunch of them. Wow. And these are these are just like, you know, like you're saying, airport hotels that have pools. There's a beautiful one at the Novotel in, ba- in the Bangkok airport. Oh my God, who knew?
2: Who I knew? I feel like I'd love to hear from any listeners who have recommendations of amazing pools that are easily accessible from layovers. Have you used a pool? Because to me, this, you know, I love my champagne in the lounge, but if I'm trying to be a bit healthier, the idea of swimming for an hour would be incredible. So if anyone listening has done that, please mm tweet at us let us know your stories tell us where we should go for a dip maybe we'll we'll send Hanley there
3: Yes, seriously
4: (laughs) for sure
1: success is more than a destination it's a path you take one step at a time it's dedication it's fortitude and it's the work
2: Hallie, I want to know, you've rubbed up against Hollywood. You've you've worked as an actress, you're a director, and you were also Halle Berry's stunt double. Tell me, what did you learn from being Halle Berry's stunt
4: double? (laughs) Oh, Oh, what didn't I learn? Well, number one, I learned I definitely don't want to be involved in the film industry anymore. Well... No, Halle is is a glorious human to work with, that's for sure. It was a funny story. So this film was set to be shot in Cape Town and Halle Berry's character, a scuba diver who hosts people swimming with great white sharks, which we do in South Africa, usually in a cage though, which her character also usually would do. And then of course, you know, money speaks and money spoke loudly. And she was asked to take this character diving outside of a cage.
3: Oh my god! And so,
4: when the production company was yeah, that's the storyline. And so, when the production company was doing their research in Cape Town for this film, they approached a local stunt company and asked for a stunt double for Hallie, for scuba diving. To which the stunt company replied, "Sure, we've got loads of good scuba divers in Cape Town, but we also have one of the most experienced shark divers in the world who lives in Cape Town, and she free dives with them." At which point the director, who was actually the same director who did Into the Blue, said, well, let's change the script. Oh and actually God. changed the script from her being a scuba diver to her being a free diver, which, of course, is much more aesthetically pleasing and mm-hmm. fluid on film. And that's how it all came about. And it was one of those bizarre jobs that I never thought would would come about. But I had a lot of fun, I must say. and. I think what was most rewarding for me from of that process was working with Hallie, seeing her dedication and passion to her craft, like what she was actually learning to be able to speak and talk about what she was doing in her film character her Absolute curiosity about one learning to free dive, but more than anything, she became really passionate about sharks and the well-being of sharks. Because I would, on all our breaks and sitting around, I would talk to her about you know the plight of sharks internationally and what's happening with shark finning and mm-hmm. habitat loss and species loss and everything. And it was lovely. In the in the interviews I saw with her running up to the premiere of the film, she was repeating all of this <laughs> to the world's media. So... That's
3: amazing the influence you had. Well, so talk to us a, a bit more about sharks then. So, so Cape Town is a famously, you know, popular place to shark dive, as you're saying in a cage. Did not know that it was safe or possible to do it outside of a cage. I'm not sure. Do, do you recommend that experience to just a diving enthusiast? No, no, and where, definitely Where and not. how? Okay.
4: So then, I, I would not recommend diving with white sharks, great white sharks, <laughs> outside of the cage, particularly not in South Africa. We have a specific population of white sharks here that are used to feeding on seals and other large creatures. And so they're also feeding when they're here. Is there a place where you might feel safer with sharks? There is a place where one can dive with sharks out of the cage more safely, and that's off Guadalupe Island in Mexico, purely because the water is crystal clear. I know, I know. And it's crystal clear water, so you can see into tomorrow, which means that you can actually watch the behavior of a shark as she approaches. And that's what's really important, working with any big animal and working with any predator in particular, is that you need to be able to observe their body language, their energy, their behavior, so that when they approach you, you know how to behave.
2: Honey, can you reassure me, though, because I was always taught you're not really supposed to go diving with sharks in cages because we we often feed them when we do that and we're teaching the wrong kind of mm. behavior. So is it OK to shark dive or are we creating a bit of sort of environmental damage?
4: The answer is Maybe, sometimes, depends on how it's done. There are operators who do it the right way. The right way would be, yes, we're chumming the water to get sharks close, which means not necessarily feeding them, but putting a scent of food in the water. So this could be fish oil. It could be a tuna head that's dropped on the side of the boat. So it's not actually feeding them. They're not going to get full tummies from coming to the boat, but they're interested, and so they come to the boat. The ones who do this, I feel the wrong way. Is they keep throwing the tuna head and aggravating the shark to get it closer and throwing and closer and throwing and closer. And this causes a kind of feeding frenzy mentality Mm. in the shark, Mm. which is when you see these horrible videos on YouTube where the shark shark rams the cage or something. And this is because the shark isn't making any of its own choices anymore. It's being psyched and hyped up into this state. Now, the thing is, if you're running five trips a day and you've got 20 clients on your boat and they've paid you to show them a shark and the conditions are bad, you're going to throw that tuna head. And so that's not right. So I would say the answer in brief is there are ways to do shark cage diving in a sustainable and educational manner, but most of it isn't being done in that manner.
3: I do want to ask you, because this is something that I've done before, but I never applied conscious thought to it until I saw what you've said to us before about this, which is safety above ground, specifically when you're in the back of an Uber by yourself, there's something that you do. And I think it's great.
4: So I always, when I when I get in Uber, especially because I use Uber in far-flung places, not only in, you know, Los Angeles and London if the cab drivers don't kill you first, um, I tend to want to make sure that I'm not alone on that ride. And so I definitely have on my app setting that I'm sharing my ETA, but that could sometimes also not be enough maybe. So I always... Um, I share the ETA with, with my partner or friend, whoever I'm meeting, and then I also just leave them a voice note or call them and say, hey, I'm on my way in the Uber. Um, the driver's really nice, his name is so-and-so, we're just passing here and here, and I should get there in about 20 minutes or so. I'll see you there. I think you're gonna get there before me, so I'll see you when I get there. So I always share it both on the app, share my ETA, and then I also always make a call, even if it's just a voice note that I leave on WhatsApp, that. Let's the driver know that somebody's aware of where I am. I think that's
2: genius. genius. <laughs> <laughs> I think the point you made there was even if there is a language barrier, mentioning the word Uber and the driver's name is universal because that's essentially telegraphing that you're having a conversation about your ride. Yes, and that just gives a lovely reassurance to anyone that if you're in a scenario where you're like, I don't speak the language, I'm not sure my way around the city, you're just backing it up. And it's it's Nick. I mean, you you do this. I have thinking, done this. Right?
3: Yeah, I didn't realize that you can also share your location from within the app. I think I actually have seen that before. I've just not used it. Mm-hmm. One thing that I've also done in that particular situation is I'll Google map my destination and make sure that my driver's mm. following the route that Google Maps is suggesting uh, just to make sure that they're not taking me on some, you know, super yeah. roundabout, circuitous, circuitous route um, that could be threatening.
2: Anyway, Hanley, we should let you get back into the ocean. I feel like every moment we keep you on dry land, it's like it's like having Ariel on dry land. It's like the Little Mermaid. We don't want to keep you out of the water.
4: Where can, my gills are drying up. Where
2: can people find you? if they want to follow your adventures on social media? Where can they find you? What are your various handles so they can follow along?
4: Absolutely. My personal handles are all um, my name, Hanley Prinsloo, H A N L I, Prinsloo, and then I run our social mission travel business where we do the sustainable big animal travel and that's I am water underscore ocean travel. And the work I do with educating kids about the ocean is I'm water underscore foundation. And both of those are also on my private profile and the same names on Facebook and others. And I'd love to love to share those ocean adventures as we go. And maybe I'll even share ding worthy travel tips
3: (laughs) (laughs) along the way. And if we want to travel with you, what's the next adventure that you're planning that people can book in on?
4: Ooh, so I'm really excited. In February, I'm actually going to be hosting my first ever. Trip In my hometown of Cape Town, sharing the lesser known sides of Cape Town, which is mostly underwater, but also the hikes up Table Mountain nobody gets to do, the biodynamic wine farms nobody's really heard of, the foraging in the Cape Point Reserve where you can eat straight from the ocean's rocky shores, all these kind of like lesser known amazing things that Cape Town has to offer. We're going to be hosting in February and then it's off to the dolphins and the indian ocean and all that oh, again
3: gorgeous jealous i'll come to cape town for sure and then we'll work on my free diving skills before <laughs> i go to the indian ocean with you
2: <laughs> you go first Nicky. you could do that that
4: sounds good i'll turn you from a snorkeler into an advanced <laughs> thank snorkeler. you so
2: much <laughs> Okay, Nikki, so how did Hanley score? Tally it up for me.
3: Hanley got five points. I might give her like 50 underwater seconds of points. I don't know. <laughs> um, one, matching underwear is the secret to maximizing your pool time or ocean time no matter where and when you land. Mm-hmm. Two, always rinse your ears. There are germs in the water. Ooh. <laughs> Three, airport hotels have pools. Who knew? Four, Cape Town is not the best place to go shark diving. That award goes to, of all places, Guadalupe, Mexico. And five, a really wonderful above-ground safety tip, which has to do with sharing your Uber location to make sure that you are always safe.
2: I think I'm going to do that in New York City.
3: Thanks for listening to Travel Genius. I'm Nikki Eckstein. And I'm Mark Elwood. Do you
2: have a favorite travel tip or hack? Or do you have thoughts on what you heard about today? We want to hear
3: them. Just drop us a line at 646-324-3490. If you leave a voicemail, we might even play it on the show. Or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Nikki Eckstein. That's three Ks and no Cs. <laughs>
2: and I'm on Twitter at Mark J. Elwood and Instagram at Mark Elwood. If you haven't subscribed to Travel Genius already, I would ask why not. But of course, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your
1: podcasts.
3: And while you're at it, please take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find us. This show was produced by Topher Forges. Francesca Leithy is Bloomberg's head of podcasts. Thanks again for listening.
0: Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film Killers of the Flower Moon The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders When white men poured into Osage County And killed Osage people for their oil wealth I'm Rachel Adams-Hurd, the host of in Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.